0: Hi friends, how are you today? That's so great to hear. Unless you're not having a good day, then I'm really sorry. My name is Bailey Sarian and today is Monday, which means it's Murder, Mystery and Makeup Monday. If you are new here, hi. My name is Bailey Sarian and on Mondays I sit down, I talk about a true crime story that's been heavy on my noggin and I do my makeup at the same time. If you're interested in true crime and you like makeup, I would highly suggest you hit that subscribe button because I'm here for you on Mondays. Today, I am going to be talking about serial killer. Today's story is a little brutal, so I do have to add a warning, please. Warning. The following presentation is intended for mature audiences. It contains graphic descriptions of crime scenes, adult dialogue, and strong language. Viewer discretion is advised. I don't even know where to begin because this man was all sorts of just wow. Wow, wow. Okay, his name, Donald Gaskins. Donald. So Donald Gaskins was born in Florence County, South Carolina on March 13th, 1933. Now at the time, his mother wasn't married when she became pregnant with Donald, which was hugely frowned upon, you know? She just ignored it as best she could, I guess. It was said that his mother had many different men coming and going throughout his childhood. Donald would later say that like a lot of these men treated him just like garbage. They would beat him, they would kick him out of the home, tell him not to come back for the night. Mind you, he's like five years old, yeah. Some would just pick on him for the fun of it. It's like a hobby for some of these these lovers. Now this was upsetting to, or maybe even just, confusing to Donald because his mother would allow it to happen. Like she would do nothing to protect him from these partners of hers. And I think as a kid, you know, it's probably more confusing. Many of the times Donald's mom would take off, go maybe live with the new boyfriend for a little bit, just leaving Donald behind. And um, I'm laughing because it's like, why, what possesses someone to think that's okay, but you hear about it way too much, you know? Anyways, so she would take off, she would leave him at home. Sometimes she would just leave him at home by himself. And then she would come back like a week later. And again, he was like five to six years old. So he had to learn how to take care of himself from a very young age. Eventually though, Donald's mom did settle down and she would remarry. And it was said that his stepfather would beat him and his four half siblings on the daily. Now growing up, Donald was a small kid. Well, you know, that's funny that I say that because well, all kids are small. <laughs> but what I mean is that he was tiny in comparison to other kids' age, which during school would lead to kids making fun of him, teasing him. So at school, Donald was given the name Peewee because of how small he was. No relation to Pee Wee Herman. Let's not bring him into this, okay? Thank you so much. Donald was called Peewee pretty much all of his life. I think, okay, look, cause I was trying to understand, I think he hated it, but then he just kind of owned it and was like, yeah, I'm fucking Peewee. But as a kid, it was traumatizing, right? Just made him angry. You know, he would go home He had a stepfather that would beat him up pretty much every day. And then he would go to school and then he would get picked on there. Kids would try to fight him at school. The poor kid, he couldn't get a break. And look what happens. This would ultimately lead to him becoming like the most prolific serial killer in South Carolina. You proud? Don't pick on people. I'm not saying it's fully that, but you know, Come on. Anyways, so Donald's getting um, picked on. And at age 11, Donald was like, you know what? I'm quitting school. I'm quitting school, I can't do this anymore. And he got a job working at um, a local garage, working on cars at 11. (laughs) Yeah, different times, you know, you can't do that now. But back then you could just, you could walk up to a place and be like, hey, I'm working here now. So he's working at this car garage. And while he's working there, that's when he meets two other boys named Danny and Marsh. Now they were all around the same age and all of them were out of school. So they teamed up and became um, friends and they called themselves the Trouble Trio. They weren't just like normal friends who would hang out and use their imagination to go on adventures and stuff. No, nay nay. The Trouble Trio over here, they broke into homes. They stole expensive items. They picked up sex workers. Mind you, they're 12 to 13 years old. Okay. Sometimes they even raped little boys in the neighborhood who tried to befriend the trio. Oh, we're off to a bad start. Yes, we are. They would then threaten the little boys so they wouldn't go to the police saying, you know, we know where you live. We will kill you and your whole family if you say anything. Just making sure that these kids wouldn't say anything. So eventually the trio broke up because they were caught gang raping. Marsh, one of the trio boys, his little sister. Yep. So the the trio, they were doing this and they get caught. I guess Marsh, his father walked in on them like, raping his daughter and then he just lost it like any of us would. He tied the boys up, beat them up pretty badly until they bled. (laughs) From my understanding, he didn't like turn them into police or anything. I don't know why you guys, I really don't. Danny and Marsh moved out of the area shortly after that. And then the trio just broke up. Donald though, he said that he got a thrill from all these crimes. And even though the trio was gone, he was just gonna continue to break into homes on his own. So in 1946, Donald was 13 and he decides that he's gonna break into a home of this woman that he has been like watching. He knew like she wasn't home, he breaks into the house and then the woman who lived there, she actually showed up and she notices that somebody's in her house. Instead of announcing that she was there, she actually like quietly went and grabbed an ax Yeah, get the ax. She got the ax. She started swinging at him left, right. She ended up hitting him with the ax, but it wasn't enough to like take him out. She did hit him, but then he ends up getting the ax. They have some kind of little struggle. He eventually gets the ax, struck her in the head and also in the arm, and then he fleed the scene. Now, luckily um, she actually ended up surviving, which led to Donald's arrest and conviction of assault with a deadly weapon and intent to kill. So Donald ended up being sent to South Carolina industrial school for boys until he turned 18. Now this was a reform school. It was a bunch of troubled, troubled teens. It just wasn't very good. Donald was almost immediately attacked and raped due to his small stature. He spent his time either accepting protection from the boss boy in exchange for sex or attempting just to escape. It was said that almost immediately, he was gang raped by 20 fellow students from the school, inside the school. It just doesn't make sense. Like where is everybody, you know? Like where are the adults around here? They're just, they're not here or what? You guys on a lunch break? I don't know. Probably watching cause I don't know. Now Donald did end up escaping from the reform school and he ends up finding a traveling carnival in the area. So he joins, he asked if he could like work there and escape from the school, right? Cause they're traveling. So he's like, this is my one way to get out. So during this time, it was said Donald married a 13-year-old girl who was also working with the carnival. But as time went on, he realized that like he truly couldn't be free unless he finished out his sentence at the reform school. So Donald decided to do the right thing, He goes back to the reform school just to turn himself in so he could finish his school slash sentencing. Sometimes, this is a side note, but sometimes I read these things. It's so, mm, it's hard to think of a time when you could just break out of this reform school and join a carnival. Like you never hear that now. Do you know someone broke out and joined a carnival? No, so it just is wild, such a different time. I'm gonna join the carnival. Bye. So Donald goes back to the reform school and finishes out his sentencing, I guess. And he was released on March 13th, 1951, which was also his 18th birthday. So once he was out, Donald now needed to find a job. He got a job working on a tobacco plantation. It didn't take long for him to like realize that working a normal job just wasn't for him. He was like, damn, I miss doing some illegal shit. This time he got involved with insurance fraud. He worked with a partner by collaborating with local tobacco farmers to burn down their their barns for a fee. He would burn down the barns and the farmers would get compensation from the insurance companies and Donald would get some money from that. I'm not sure how you advertise this type of business, but he was doing it and he was making some good money. I mean, to give him credit, at least this wasn't like hurting anybody. You know? I would rather him be burning down barns than actually why am I trying to never mind. Anyway, so all these barns are burning down and people are like hmm. You know, this is a little weird. Barns are burning down. Donald seems to be around when it happens or like working on the farm when it happens. People are just kind of putting some pieces together. Well, on one of the farms that he was working at, the daughter of the farmer, she went up to Donald and was like, hey, I've been hearing about these barn fires. Everyone thinks it's you, man. So. This upset Donald and he grabbed a hammer which was next to him and he bashed her head with it. He ended up splitting her skull and then he attempted to flee again. Luckily she was okay, she survived and once again Donald was caught and arrested and he received a five-year sentence in prison for assault with a deadly weapon and attempted murder. Five years, so. That should do it. That will teach him. This time, Donald goes to real prison. He ended up having the same experience as he did back in the reform school. Many of the inmates took advantage of him. He was still very small, petite. They took advantage of him, they raped him, and they threatened his life. Over time, Donald started to realize like how the prison worked, you know? The only way to get some respect in there was to become a power man. Power men were the most dangerous, ruthless, and most feared inmates. Nobody messes with them. And they pretty much call the shots and they run that prison. So Donald wanted that position. He was tired of being picked on, he was tired of being raped and abused and he wanted to take charge, he wanted to be respected and most of all he just wanted to be left left alone. So Donald used his noggin and came up with a plan. His plan was to kill one of the meanest inmates inside of the prison. So what he does is he befriended this guy and he built trust. Then when the inmate least expected it, Donald cut his throat, killing him. Donald was found guilty of manslaughter and would spend the next six months in solitary confinement. But his plan did work. Donald became a power man in the prison and his fellow inmates respected him and left him alone. Just based off of observation, I mean, I don't know, I wasn't there, but it just sounded like this was really stroking his ego. Donald's out thinking like, uh-huh. like I killed one of the meanest ones in prison. Where's my trophy? Donald said after he did that, his uh, prison life or his prison experience was more enjoyable and he didn't mind being there so much. So remember earlier how I said that Donald got married to that 13-year-old? Yeah, well, they were still married, okay? So, <laughs> uh, yeah. They were still married, and she would write him letters in prison and stuff. But eventually, they got divorced in 1955. Um, so he receives a letter in prison saying that like she's she's wanting to divorce him, right? So he's just he gets he's pissed, and he's like, "I'm gonna break out of here. I gotta go find her." So he does just that. He breaks out of prison and he steals a car and drives down to Florida, little MacGyver over here. I mean, now he drives down to Florida and while he's there, he finds another carnival to join. He ends up becoming involved with a woman named Betty Gates. Betty's talking to Donald and she's like, my brother, he's in Tennessee, he's in jail. Can you help me cover the the bail money? Donald has a bit of a crush on this Betty girl. So he wants to help her. Whoa, I'm having deja vu. So Donald is willing to help and he gets her the bail money, but also he drives the two of them out in the stolen car to Tennessee to get the brother out of jail. So Betty gives Donald a pack of cigarettes. And I guess inside the pack of cigarettes were some razor blades. Donald didn't know this. He also has money on hand. He goes to the prison and he drops it off to give to the brother. He doesn't get bailed out, but the two of them, they go back to the hotel room to wait. So Donald tells Betty like, oh, I'm gonna go get some cigarettes. I'll be right back and leaves Betty alone in the hotel room. Now, when he comes back, his car was stolen and Betty was gone. To Donald's surprise, this dude wasn't Betty's brother. It was actually her husband who had recently escaped from prison with a razor blade. So the police show up to Donald's hotel room. They find him because when he he went to the prison, he had to like check in. So police go, they find Donald. That's when Donald tells the police about this woman, Betty and her brother. And then police tell them the whole situation. That's not her brother. That's her husband. You were scammed. But also they pull up Donald's record and they realize that he too was an escaped convict. So he was arrested and sent back to prison. Now at this point he received an additional nine months in prison for aiding an escape. They're giving this man a lot of chances. So Donald gets sent to prison again. He's like, darn it. But this time he meets and becomes friends with a mafia boss named Frank Costello. Oh, the two hit it off. They become best friends and Frank, He offers him some employment when he gets out. If you can hear all that background noise, there's squattily ding-dong shit I could do about it, you know? People gotta mow their lawns, okay? So in August of 1961, Donald was released from prison. I'm laughing because why the hell is he released? I don't know, but he was released from prison. He returns to Florence, South Carolina, where he's decided like that's where he's gonna live, you know? He likes it there, it's home. Once again, he realizes, you know, just the normal working life isn't for me. I'm really good at being a burglar. And he decides that's gonna be his job. Someone's gotta be the bad guy. This time though, instead of finding a job with a carnival, he found a job with a traveling minister. Traveling minister, no one will know, you know? So he uh, goes up to this minister and is like, hey, I'll be your driver and your assistant. You know, I'll drive you everywhere. You could just relax in the back seat, help you out. This minister was like, great, that sounds great. I love that, you know? Teamwork makes the dream work and they work together. But poor minister, don't he didn't know, okay? But this was an easy way Donald could travel from town to town while the group he was working with was preaching. Obviously, a lot of people are not going to look at the traveling minister as up to no good. It was a good cover. While the minister was like preaching and doing um, his godly duties, Donald would be spending his time just breaking into homes and stealing stuff. He wasn't killing at this time, he was only stealing stuff. And because they were constantly on the move, it made his crimes harder to trace. So in 1962, Donald would get caught raping a 12 year old girl and he was arrested for statutory rape, but he was able to get away once again and escape in a stolen car in North Carolina. So Donald steals his car. He heads to North Carolina, okay? He gets there and he ends up meeting a 17 year old girl who he fell madly in love with and would end up marrying her. Now, you know, when you're like, about to marry somebody and you get to know one another and you're like, oh my God, I like rainbows and long walks on the beach and stuff. Well, eventually like Donald would end up telling his new wife that he was on the run because he had raped a 12 year old girl and stole a car. No big deal. Of course, this was shocking information to his new wife, and she didn't say anything to Donald at the time, but she went she turned his ass in. Which, bravo, girl. Bravo. So she turns him in. Once again, Donald was arrested and received six years in prison. Six years. So he ends up serving his full sentence, and he was released in November of 1968. Donald said that he would get, very dark thoughts and feelings, telling him to commit awful crimes, but they were also getting more and more worse. That's not proper English. Well, I don't know. I think raping kids is pretty dark if you ask me, but now he was like, I wanna murder somebody is what he's thinking, and he felt like he had no control, and the thoughts and these feelings wouldn't go away until he actually committed the crime. In September of 1969, Donald picked up a lady hitchhiker in North Carolina, and he asked her if she would be interested in performing sexual acts since he gave her a ride. So Donald is asking this hitchhiker like, hey, you wanna tickle my pickle? Apparently, she laughed at him. She laughs in his face. Now this, this upset Donald, he starts seeing red and he's asking her, are you laughing at me? He pulls his car over, he beats her until she's unconscious. He rapes her, he sodomized and tortured her. He then went to a swamp nearby, tied a bunch of rocks to her body so she would sink to the bottom of the swamp. And you know what's more upsetting? All of this could have been prevented by just keeping his dumb ass in prison, but they did it. Now, sadly, this hitchhiker would be the first of many he picked up while driving around the coastal highways. So Donald would kill both men and women purely for pleasure and on average, at least once every six weeks. He said that he got a thrill from it, enjoyed torturing and mutilating his victims, but he enjoyed it more when the victims were alive and knew what he was doing, which is just fucking... Awful. He had a variety of different methods from stabbing to suffocation, mutilation, and he even tried eating a victim. He didn't like it though, but he tried it. He wrote a memoir, which is why I keep saying Donald Sud. I mean, he was intense, okay? He was like the worst type, the scary type. He'd pick people up, no reason, just anyone he saw, He'd pick them up because he didn't really have a specific style. It was like police and investigators couldn't figure out if this was a serial killer or just a random killing because there was no consistency. So in Donald's memoir, He claimed to feel the overpowering need to commit these crimes by the 10th of each month. Most of the murders were people that he didn't know and considered it weekend fun, but he would go on to kill his 15 year old niece and her friend and he called that a serious murder, not just weekend fun. He didn't really kill a lot of people that he did know in real life, it was always random, but there were a few times when he killed people that he actually knew like um people owing him money one guy tried to blackmail him and uh, kill him. he's like man I'm gonna kill you and then people would seek him out and hire him as a hitman to kill a victim for money after donald would kill a victim he would bury them along the coastal areas of South Carolina he would rarely leave their bodies out in the open he would try to like he would bury them you get it he would bury them A lot of people in the community or in Donald's neighborhood, they didn't think much of him, they just thought he was weird. Like he's just a weirdo. He had a short temper. He wasn't very friendly. And many of them also just thought maybe he's just mentally disturbed and nothing more. Like he wouldn't actually do anything to anybody. People would would avoid Donald if they saw him is what I'm getting at. But then there was like another group of people on the other side. Donald seemed to have like a good group of friends. People seemed to really like him and never saw this evil side come through. Very mixed reviews. One of his friends, was a woman named Doreen who was his next door neighbor. Now Doreen, she had a young daughter and was also pregnant, carrying her second child. She was heading out of town one day and she was looking for a ride to the bus station. So that's when Donald offered to give her a ride. Now, instead of taking her to the bus station, Donald took her to a secluded area where he raped and killed her and also her young daughter. He killed them all. After that, he buried them all together in this wooded area. Super disturbing, I know. So if you didn't hate him already, you should probably definitely hate him now. Donald just kept killing. And by the age of 42, Donald had been killing for over five years. Usually he worked alone, which he thought was a good idea because it would prevent him from being caught. The only person that could rat himself out was himself. But one day while he was driving down the highway, he saw a van that was broken down and pulled over. There were three people who were trying to figure out what to do with their van. This is before cell phones and stuff, you know. Donald's dumbass, he pulls, he pulls over, he offers them some help but in turn, he ends up killing them all. He kills all three of these victims, buries them in some wooded area that they were kind of pulled over near. And then that's when Donald realized he needs he needed help moving the victim's van. So he calls up his friend who was an ex-con, his name's Walter Neely, and he's like, hey, can you come pick up the van and then take it to uh, your garage to repaint it and we could sell it. Walter does that, he goes out, he picks up the van, he takes it to his garage, paint it, and then they sell it. So in the coming months after the van the van murders, uh, Donald, he went on to kill about five to six more people. Then he called up his friend Walter again to help him bury the latest bodies he had. He just had too many bodies, he needed help burying them. So at this time, Donald had his own private cemetery, which was property that he had owned. So Donald took Walter out to his private cemetery which was land that he owned in Prospect, South Carolina. And while he's there, Walter helped bury his latest victims. In November of 1975, Walter was arrested under suspicion of murder. So when police are questioning Walter, they're like, hey, you know, like, were you working with somebody? Because if you talk, we can lessen your sentence. That's when Walter's like, you know what? I do have something to say. And he told police that he witnessed Donald Gaskins killing victims that were on the missing persons list. And he then mentioned that Donald had confided in him to having killed several people over the last five years. You know, police are like, Walter, hey, is there anything else that you know you want to tell us? Walter's like, yeah, actually, I know where some of them are buried. Private cemetery, let me tell you. So Walter's just talking, 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 which is a good thing, but this was the one thing Donald did not want to happen, why he always worked alone and it was backfiring on his dumb ass. Ha, fucking ha. Police, they go out to Donald's apartment. They end up searching his apartment and they end up finding clothing that had been worn by a recent woman that was on the missing persons list. Oh, yes. They arrested him and they took him in and they ended up telling Donald that they knew about his little cemetery. Somebody had ratted him out. Donald knew who it was because he only took one person there, Walter. He's like, hey, that's not cool. I thought we were friends, Walter. So police say like, hey, we know about your your private cemetery. If you take us out there, we'll offer you a lesser sentence as if he hasn't had enough chances. But Donald agrees and he ends up taking them out there to show where all the bodies were. So Donald takes them out there, right? That's where police discovered eight victims buried on his property. On April 27th 1976, Donald and Walter were charged with eight counts of murder. And on May 24th, 1974 a jury convicted Donald of murder and sentenced him to death. So, in an attempt to avoid additional death sentences, because he already got one, so he's like, I don't want more. He uh, confessed to seven more murders. In 1976, the Supreme Court ended up ruling that the death penalty was unconstitutional. So, his death sentence was turned into seven consecutive life sentences. But then, because the story doesn't end there, it just keeps going forever. Let me tell you the story, it never ends. It goes on. On and on and on, what's that from? It goes on and on and on, it doesn't matter. So in 1978, the death penalty was restored, which didn't necessarily mean anything to Donald in like his sentence, it wasn't gonna change back to Um, the death sentence. That is, until Donald killed again. While incarcerated, he murdered again. Donald was incarcerated in the high security block at the South Carolina Correctional Institution. He decided to kill a fellow death row inmate named Rudolph Tyner. Now Donald was hired by the son of Rudolph's victim to kill Rudolph. Yes, Donald tried many times to get rid of him, lacing his food with poison, but nothing seemed to be working. That's when he decided the only way to get rid of this guy would be to use some explosives to kill him. A bit of a jump, but okay, Donald. So Donald took a small portable radio and put explosives inside of it. He gave it to Rudolph and was like, hey, you wanna be friends? so listen to this radio and like we'll talk to each other. Donald told him, hey, at like 5 p.m, hold the radio up to your ear and I'm gonna start talking to you, okay? In Donald's cell, he has the ability to detonate the explosives inside of the radio. Five o'clock comes around, Rudolph is like, hello? And then kaboom, Rudolph died. Now, because of this, Donald once again received the death sentence. Donald knew that he was heading to the electric chair and he started confessing to more and more murders in hopes to just avoid, he didn't wanna die. So he's like, hey, I got more information. Hey, pick me, I got more information. He claimed to have committed between 100 to 110 murders. The last few months of his life, Donald worked with an author to write a book called Final Truth, which was published in 1993, he told his side of the story so on September 5th 1991 it was Donald's execution day but he didn't want to die on the electric chair so he tried to cut his wrists instead in hopes to just not get the chair which I don't know what the point of that would be like why wouldn't you just want the chair at that point you're gonna die either way I've just I don't know whatever so he tries to he tries to kill himself but it didn't work yeah. He ended up surviving. They take him to the the nurse, whatever, and they stitch him up, but it kind of backfired on him, which is good because he ends up getting sent to the the electric chair, right? They have to put like the bandages and stuff around his stitches, so it must've been painful. Sorry, Donald. That must've sucked. In instances like this, I truly believe that you should die the same way that you've killed others. An eye for an eye, yeah. Anyways, September 6, 1991, at like around one in the morning, Donald was hooked up to the electric chair and was removed from this planet. Now it's unclear how many victims Donald's actually killed. Many believe that Donald was just lying just to kind of hype himself up, make himself a bigger deal. But either way, I think it's safe to say that Donald was a disturbing, disgusting, vanilla pudding, piece of shit, horrible human being, who definitely deserved the death sentence and had way too many chances to uh, get out of? Pr- I don't know. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> this dude was so gross. When I was reading about him, I don't know of any time of his life where it just sounded like, oh, that must've been nice. Like he seemed happy at this time in his life. Like it didn't seem like that existed at all. It seemed like it was chaos from day one. That sucks. You can feel bad for bad people. You're allowed to, it's okay to feel bad for him. He had a shitty life, but he also did some fucked up shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, wow. Well, sometimes I just see people who are like, why are you standing up for them? I'm not standing up for them. I just Before I started my murder mystery makeup videos, I was a full believer that some people are born just evil. But the more and more I do these stories about serial killers, especially, It's such a common theme, shitty upbringing, head trauma, shitty upbringing. And um, I'm not saying that some people aren't just born bad, more often it's because of how like their upbringing. So be nice to your kids, don't bully kids, don't fuck them up. So that's the story about Donald Gaskins, AKA Pee Wee. He was terrible. Terrible. He was terrible. Other than that, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Make good choices. Please be safe out there. And I'll be seeing you guys later. Bye.